Okay, we're going to start studying Galatians. This is for you, Bob and Charlene. Just a little, I guess a little maybe introduction. Um, and Jack was reading ahead this morning because he got here early. But Galatians is one of these really um, pointed letters from the Apostle Paul. And I think because it actually touches on something that happened to him personally. He, of, all the, um, of all the epistles, this one has the most biographical information about the Apostle Paul because he narrates something that happens in first, in first person to him, um, which was this encounter that he had with Peter when he was visiting this church. And uh, the, the, the major conflict in this letter and the major conflict in this community that Paul is writing this letter to address is do new Christians have to become Jews first before they can become Christians? And probably the thinking was that everybody, all the first Christians were Jews first. And so some of them probably started thinking, well, that's the proper path to becoming a Christian. And, and early in the early in the church, there wasn't, there was not a lot of. I wouldn't say it was confusion, but probably where the first Christians worshipped was in the synagogue. It wasn't only until it was only later that their beliefs became so different from, at least their stated beliefs became so different from the synagogue, that they were expelled from the synagogue. Um, so. Uh, for them, being Jewish was, as it is today, it wasn't just a religion. It was a cultural thing. It was a linguistic thing. It was a lot of habits, a lot of customs that were all very good. You know, dietary laws, table fellowship laws, um, observances of the Sabbath. And as we'll see here, it was also circumcision, which was this really gospel sort of centered thing. It was this mark of God's covenant. It was about promise. Circumcision came about as a result of a promise that God made to Abraham, and so you could you could really see um, that a, an early Jewish Christian would say, "Well, absolutely, all new Christians should get circumcised first, so that they can identify with and benefit from this covenant of promise that that God offered Abraham." And and even if you're not Jewish by by ethnicity, you're still being grafted into this tree. Um, so that's, that's kind of the background, is that Paul had come into this setting and really clarify what it is to become a Christian, and that certain parts of the external uh, obligations and the external fulfillment of the law actually had to almost be set aside to make the case that it was really the gospel that saves you and not the observance of the law that saves you. And um, for him, what was really at stake was the gospel itself. It was that we can't proclaim this as good news if we are drawn back into an old system that actually Jesus himself pushed, pushed back against pretty strongly, which was this system of you can earn your salvation by attempting to keep the law perfectly. And your identity in God is based on an external ritual. In this case, it was circumcision. And then, of course, there's all sorts of problems with that, too, because then it was really only a symbol for men. And so even Paul is, is going to push through in Galatians, and, and we find that the gospel really is for all people. It's, it's, it transcends genders, it transcends ethnicity, it transcends language, it transcends 
uh, your status in the Roman world, whether you were a free person or a slave. So there's this great leveling that the gospel brings. And the people who are trying to force the Galatians to keep old laws were unleveling that level. They were trying to make it hierarchical again. They were trying to make it um, a sort of a, a merit system again. So that's the introduction. And I thought maybe uh, for the first run, we could let's read for um, chapters 1 and 2 of Galatians. It's a short book, um, six chapters, but some of them are quite short. So, uh, so do you want to... We're done with the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, yeah, we finished last week. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think you're the only one with that Bible. It's right after um, 2 Corinthians. So it's Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians. I did remember one sort of acronym from seminary. Go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. That's after Romans and 1 and 2 Corinthians. Oh, very nice. That's helpful to me sometimes. Yeah. But then you have to remember where the G starts. It's after the R and the two C's, which itself is after the A and the... <laughs> now, wait a minute. You're making it much too complicated. Me. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember popcorn. I can't eat too. <laughs> <laughs> do you have it, Adele? I do. Okay. Do you want to start? Read as much as you like okay. and pass it off when you're content. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead... And all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting. I'm going to have to stop you, because Paul's angry. So you have to... When you read this, you have to sound angry. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how to sound angry, but that's I'll a try. good thing. <laughs> Imagine that the dishes didn't get put away or something. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some people who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you received, let him be accursed. Am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still pleasing men, I should not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and had called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not confer with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia And again, I returned to Damascus. 
Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other disciples, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria. Revelation. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation. And meeting privately with these esteemed as, those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false preachers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a, we did not give in to them for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And as for those who held who were held high in esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James and Cephas and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to be to the circumcised. All I asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Do you want to pick up, Marion, at uh, 2.11? When Peter came to Antioch, I imposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For though the law, but for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for Christ. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he, um, actually the last verse is one of the strongest. Um, 
Uh, although later, in, uh, later on, he also says to the Galatians, if you allow yourselves to be circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you, which is probably the biggest warning in the entire New Testament. It, it says you will nullify the work of Christ if you, <laughs> if you allow yourself to be circumcised and, and enter into this works, sort of works righteousness um, system that, you, that you've been set free from because of the gospel. So uh, there was a little introduction here. That this book to the this letter to the Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul, and he's combating a false teaching that's the, really high on his list. In fact, he spends very little time on the formalities and the niceties, just a few verses, and then he jumps straight in and says, you guys are totally messed up, <laughs> and I'm going to set you straight. And for him, the gospel is at stake, the proclamation of the gospel and the understanding of the gospel and this idea of how where righteousness comes from is all of it's at stake for him, and so he's really upset. I, and I, I asked Adele to read it in an angry voice when she started because, it, and actually that worked. You did. That was angry. That was right. that was it was good. it was strident at least, which is good. Okay. It, it was, it was okay, strong. Good. Was it Peter or Paul who saw the sheet let down three times? That's a that's a very good question and point. It was it was Peter. That's what I thought. Yeah. He's a little um, hard-headed. He's a little forgetful. Which is why he was eating with the Gentiles. We, we yeah. We're talking about in here. I think yeah. I saw the sheet come down. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You use the word interchangeably in this Bible. It said Jews and Gentiles, and you read circumcised and uncircumcised. Mm-hmm. Is that generally... Look at the te- If you look at the text notes in the NIV, which is what you have... Um, it tells you that, for example, in verse 7 of chapter oh, 2. Uncircumcised, Yeah, yeah. So the, the translators have tried to make it, they're, they're trying to help us there. And so sometimes I, I suppose circumcised was actually a shorthand word for Jew, or Jew was a shorthand word for circumcised, because they really were, they were really one and the same. They were pretty much the only race that was circumcised at that time, and it was a sign of this promise made to Abraham. So, um, yeah, that's a good question. But I think you may, if you're you're remembering, the the question is, here's Peter, he sees this in Acts, he sees this sheet come down from heaven in a vision, has all this food in it that he had never eaten in all of his life because he was an observant Jew. And you can imagine what was in it, all the unclean foods that other people ate, the Jews never ate, probably like, you know, pigs and uh, shellfish, other things. Lizards. lizards, yeah, lizards and snakes and creeping crawly things that other people thought were delicious. And um, God said, eat it. No way, no way, you know. But then God said, well, you know, whatever I've made, I've made this stuff, it's not unclean. You know, and I'm, well, I'm telling you, it's not unclean anymore. And so Peter starts having fellowship with Gentiles from that point on. Yet, Something happens to Peter where that table fellowship that he had ha- been having with Gentiles, he pulls back from. Because a group arrives and says, to be a Christian, you have to observe Jewish laws. And new Christians need to be circumcised. They have to become Jewish first and then Christians. They have to. So, um, so if, if that became the one law that was accepted, then what? What, what, what would history, how would history would have looked like? That's, no. Yeah, that's a great because question. It's, it doesn't seem... It, it, yeah. Circumcision is, is uh, 
it's the norm, I understand now, you know, for, mm -hmm. for men, as far as... Not for religious yes, reasons, though, yeah. yeah. But in other words, if they said, well, okay, if that's... Okay, I can agree with that one. So, are we, are we okay then, you know? We, yeah. yeah, and... <laughs> what and would happen then? Would, 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 you, would Judaism and Christianity be the same? Yes, Christianity would become would have reverted into Judaism, and it would have it might have might not have spread. That, or it would have alleviated uh, Judaism. Yeah. I think this takes it into a little more far-reaching. I remember when we first Christ became a Christian, we were reading through, and we got into this question: What is this big deal about you know circumcision versus non-circumcision? Mm -hmm. um, but I think it is that we all sort of, even, you know, any religious group, they, they have a sort of a norm, and then you set levels where this is unacceptable behavior, oh. and, um, or this is not acceptable, and we do that. We make our own rules, and I think this yeah. is yes. a lot of what Paul was addressing here. Mm -hmm. You know, Peter was even willing to eat with them, but then he, he probably felt like he was perceived as um, um, come here. Are you okay? Why are you leaving that room? There's no markers there. There's no markers there. Okay. <laughs> By golly. Okay. Want me to get you something? There's markers in there. <laughs> he wants the one from his classroom, but are there other markers there? <laughs> Maybe a good time for a coffee break. You'll be okay, George. I think MJ will help you. Do you want to go with, can you go with them? Markers are too big for Okay. See what MJ has. She might have some pointy markers for you. Krista's home today. She had um, sort of frequent contractions that were kind of a concern, so she's taking it easy. So what rules do we have that... That's, that's the question I wanted us to go to. Yeah. Thank you, Perry. Yeah. I don't know yeah. one really yeah. is one of those... No, we don't, we don't quibble about circumcision, but I, as MJ was saying, we have our own version of circumcision in the church, and every church is probably different. We have this thing that we say, you have to show externally that you're doing X for us to think you're a Christian. And... It's kind of toxic. It's it's law based. It's it's kind of messed up. And I mean, we're not supposed to, are we? We're not supposed to, but we do it. Yeah, we're not supposed to. Exactly. Yeah, but there's nothing. So then, uh, it's not the same thing. George, where are you going? As far as. Okay. Hmm, sorry about that. Yeah, I mean, oh, go ahead, Mary. Well. I think there's, I mean, culturally, where I grew up, mm, mm -hmm. there were some things that were very definitive in terms of whether you were a committed Christian or not. Yeah. Now, they don't apply necessarily here in our world right here. Yeah. But for an example, my dad told me when I was probably a teenager, if you are at an event where alcohol is served, I don't want you even to drink water. Oh, wow. Because yeah. no one will know what's in your glass. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And to drink alcohol in that small 
environment meant that you were not a believer in Jesus Christ, right. or at least you right. weren't living for it. Externally, yeah. Now, what about what if about, you yeah. don't? If I still held that standard today and yeah. refused to drink, not a soul would notice. Number yeah. one. <laughs> number two, if they did notice because I made some waves about it, they'd think I had an extreme problem with the alcohol and was an alcoholic mm -hmm. and therefore did not drink alcohol. Right. Yeah, it's changed. Can you imagine if somebody came to your church growing up and had tattoos all up and down their arms and wanted to go forward and take communion and? Say I said I'm. What would people have? You know, what would they? Have? Well, I I think tattoos were so far out of the. I mean, I don't yeah. know. I think in World War Two, the only people that had tattoos that I know of were sailors. They're sailors, yeah. And I can tell you, in the late fifties, when I was a student nurse, I knew a guy that was a corpsman in the Navy that decided he was going to have his tattoos removed. Oh yeah. And when I witnessed what. The pain he went through having tattoos removed. I wouldn't have had a tattoo for anything under the sun. Believe me. <laughs> that hurts going on and hurts coming off. He he was in excruciating pain and he yeah. used to come to me in the dining hall. He was an x-ray tech. And he says, Marion, are you going to be working in the ER tonight? I was the only person that didn't laugh when the tears just rolled down his face. Well, when he would change his dressings. Yeah. Well, because he was a big buff guy. All right, yeah. And, you know, he's crying like a baby because yeah. somebody's changing his dressings. Yeah. Well... Must have hurt. Never had a burn. You, yeah. And of course, today it isn't even the same on that because they we have telephone dressings and all kinds of other yeah. stuff that protect the skin, not yeah. like gauze that the yeah. scabs grew on the other side of the gauze. So you'd remove the gauze, and it was horrific. But all I'm trying to say is that there are a lot of things like that where some of us, at least, can identify with it, even though things have but, changed but, uh, greatly. The question isn't whether other people think that there is a rule. Right. The, 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 well, that's what Peter's that... concern was here, wasn't it? Peter changed because... Uh, yeah, some other folks showed up. Yeah, certain men came from James. He used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. I think it is the same. Yeah, but I can't think of anything in our church. Is there stuff in our church that... That's what I'm trying to figure out, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I can think of um, other churches, too, but um, what yeah. in other churches? Uh, well, for myself personally, language. Mm. Mm -hmm. When I hear people use obscenities up and down and around in the name of the Lord in vain and all kinds of innuendo, I just say to myself, what is that all about? Mm. Mm -hmm. So I think it, there are some things, but it stretches a little more. And maybe... In the context of, and you never know enough about what's going on, but certain choices I definitely wouldn't make that I, people do make. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. We had a, a pastor in another church. It was so funny. He was preaching a sermon and he got a little excited. And he was, he was um, recording it. And he said, God is so stinking good. And then he kept going. And I didn't think about it. And my husband who listened to it said, that's an odd way of saying it. You know? <laughs> and he was kind of like the language thing. Mm -hmm. but, um, there are yeah. people who um, just grow up with that language and it's right. very hard to stop. Right. Yeah. Oh, no, I understand yeah. that. Yeah, and I kind of, I, I agree with you. What happens yeah. when they become Christian? Yeah. So, they, so you might, or somebody might have opposed to that and say, well, that's, but when it comes to somebody neutral or God himself, what is it that, what rules has he made that says that we can't, that you can't be a Christian if you do this or that? There is none. Is there, is there a rule 
that God has imposed in writing and blasphemy. Sure. Yeah, I guess unbelief, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but so yeah, yeah. Yeah, other than that, no. I mean, you look at you look at the this this thief that was hanging on the cross next to Jesus, and Jesus says, "Today you'll be with me in paradise." You know. So there is, there's, there's grace. This grace that Paul talks about later on, it, it really does cover every sin. But we don't want to, I mean, I used to tell the kids in the youth group, I said, what if somebody is robbing a bank and, you know, they die while robbing the bank? Can they go to heaven? You know? Maybe. Yes. And my answer was, if they believe in God, and, and they've, the, you know, they've accepted Jesus, and they, they have. Tr- now we make lapses, right? And, and there's this way of thinking that the last sin you do, unless you, for, you know, repent it. That's kind of a Catholic way of thinking. The last thing, the last sin you do, if it hasn't been absolved and repented to a priest, it's on your permanent record. It gets, it's like, but that's, that's really not. It's not really how we think about it. So yeah, you can be, you can die in the commission of a, of a, of an armed robbery. Now. I'm not the one that makes this decision, but my understanding of it is that that, that was, you know, it's the, it's the same as dying while telling a lie. It's the same as, <laughs> no, see, the scales are different, right? Well, suicide. Suicide, which we would, you know, we would think of that as, as actually an illness, you know. We do now. Uh, uh, yeah, we yeah, do, yeah. For many years, they right. oh, yeah. that was... Oh, I had, yeah, I had a family friend and their son committed suicide, and they were, they were Catholic, and... Um, they had to really do a lot of mental gymnastics to kind of, yeah. and other gymnastics just to get them buried in a Catholic seminary, cemetery, you know. Yeah. Um, I dealt with that with my Catholic sister-in-law who um, on the day she was supposed to give birth, her son got the umbilical cord wrapped around uh-huh. his neck and died. And since he was not baptized, she goes, well, does that mean he goes to purgatory? And we had a long conversation, and mm. I said, no. Right. And, you know, and I, I know she knows that, but, you know, that, that is the teaching there that you need to be baptized, and it just, you know, yeah. was really heavy on her heart. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the things that we're missing there is the innuendos here, the slight innuendos that, that Peter... These were people, I think, that they were trying to convert to Christianity, and maybe he was trying to fit in with them, and, you know, trying to bring them along, and I think that's where sometimes we have to be careful, because you can get caught in hypocrisy, that you're trying to go along with people. Social pressure, yeah. And you're trying to, you know, maybe get them to accept the Lord. Well, you might put up with the the foul language because that person you know doesn't know the Lord. Right. And um, I think... This well, Peter Peter gives into social pressure, but he also seems to be swayed by their argument, which is that righteousness comes from obeying or observing the law. And we're kind of... I, I just realized we're kind of looking at this backwards. As a church, we might be looking at, at behaviors that we think disqualify people, but this is really about behaviors that we expect people to have for us to think that they're actually in not behaviors that push them out. One of the things that reminds me of this, we were talking just a minute ago, it's a little like um, watching your kids uh, see how far they can go and still be okay. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to saying, I want to be 
uh, all that God wants me to be, not how 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 far down the line can I go and still be okay. I, yeah. I mean, yeah. in terms of your own mind. Yeah. It's a yeah. whole different um, interface in terms of yeah. um, how you have how you perceive of God in your life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we have this we have this desire to categorize people as in or out with our kids too. Our kids are out right now because they're there's just they've crossed some line or they're they're in and uh i'm not it'd be interesting to kind of think about that maybe we can do that next week why are we so interested in categorizing people as in or out i i think i have some ideas about it but it'd be good to one thing i want to bring out um because we're probably getting close we're doing that about ourselves all the time <laughs> we, yeah we and we want to know who we're with i mean we want to know um we want to feel comfortable with our company i guess whatever um this word for righteousness and justify did you see this word justify came up you're not justified by the works of the law and it turns out in the greek language that it's the same word this word is dikaios dikaios which means it's an interesting word we we as an adjective we um we translate it as justified but as a noun, it's righteousness. It's this, this attribute of being in a right relationship with God. And so when you use it as a sort of a verb or an adjective, it's you are made righteous. Justified means you are righteous made or righteous making. Um, and that, that concept is, um, is really, it's really powerful. It's really at the core of so it's important to know what sort of justification and righteousness mean to Paul. They mean being in a right relationship with God, and they're the same concept, the same. So when you see this alternately, if you see righteousness or justified, remember that it's the same word and it's the same concept. It's what Paul really cares about. And the crux of the matter is that for Paul, it's his understanding of faith, which we see biographically that he went to the leaders of the church and said, you know, I got this from Jesus, but I want to check with you guys who knew him better. Did I get this right? Is justification, is my righteousness as a result of faith in Jesus? Or is it as a result of observing certain laws, certain rituals and laws, or keeping all the laws, the Ten Commandments? And it turns out that the, the apostle said, no, you're right, Paul. That's what, that's what we got from Jesus. Righteousness does not come by keeping the law. Righteousness comes by having faith in the one who died on our behalf on the cross, you know. So when when this sort of law-keeping stuff starts to creep back into the Christian community, Paul's, I guess Peter wasn't terribly concerned about it. He, he It just kind of, by osmosis or something, he just kind of drifted along with it. But when Paul saw that, something like a, flip, a switch got flipped in his brain and he said, this has to stop. This is, you know, it's all or nothing here. In fact, you look at chapter 1, um, some of the strongest language in the New Testament, if you look at chapter 1, verse, um, verse 8, even if we or an angel from heaven <laughs> should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. And that, the Greek word there is anathema. And we, have, we use that word in the English language, anathema. That's this curse against somebody else of, of their damnation. 
Uh, as we have already said, now, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. He says it twice. There's a lot of emphasis. The gospel other than what you accepted is the gospel that you're justified by keeping the law, not the gospel that you're justified by faith in Christ. And so the rest of Galatians is really going to be this pretty, actually pretty um, logical. I think Paul had some Greek uh, training. You know, he grew up in the Greek world. So he, he does seem to draw on a little bit of that logic and persuasive rhetoric. But for the rest of the Galatians, it's going to be saying, if you think you can become righteous by keeping the law, here's where this is going to lead, and it's going to lead to slavery. It's, it's, you'll never get there. It's going to be a big mess. But on the other hand, your righteousness comes from the work of Christ on the cross. If it comes from faith in that saving work, then you actually are on a path towards freedom. And so this, this contrast between law-keeping and faith is also sort of overlaid with another contrast between slavery and freedom. It's really, it's really astounding. It's kind of this complex complex but beautiful argument that he makes in the rest of Galatians, and we'll be looking at that. But even our faith ebbs and flows. I mean, mm -hmm. if you look at the, the mm -hmm. disciples when they were in Christ's presence, mm -hmm. you know, every time they turn around, you know, they were like scared. They were this, you know, on the, you know, in the water and the boats and, and, and he kept saying, you have little faith. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, and there we were places where he we, couldn't do stuff because people hadn't didn't have faith. Yeah. yeah, we can't do it alone, even by faith. We just need to trust in Jesus, too. Yeah. And when we're short on faith, sometimes we appeal to the law. We go back to the old slavery of the law. And this, this begins to start taking over echoes of the Exodus, where the people don't like the wilderness. They don't like trusting in God every day for new food. And they said... Let's go back to the, the flesh pots of Egypt. Let's go back to the leeks and melons. And it's the same way spiritually here is we find freedom, but freedom requires faith. And we say, but the law, the law, I know if I'm keeping the law. What's more important is I know if everybody else is keeping the law. And I can keep track of them. That feels really good to keep track of them, especially if they break the laws that I'm keeping myself or think I am. Then you can build your own, you know, your own system with you at the top. Um, but it's slavery in the end. You become a slave. Slave to sin, slave to the law. Are you supposed to, as a Jew, to worry about other people keeping the law? No, I don't think so. That's the human condition, but um, in some they all, ways... They all know, they all yeah. know that you can't keep the law. So I think we're to be concerned about our brother. You know, we, should, we should be concerned about our brother and sister, and, and you can't make somebody not break the law, but if they're breaking the law in a way that's destroying them, you reach out in love in some way. That's where love gets kind of complicated. That's where it gets kind of interesting. So what, what other words, it's, what I'm saying is that we, we think that somehow everybody, all Jews keep track of each other as to breaking the law or not. That's oh, I hope I didn't say that. No. Right. So, but, yeah. so they're in similar. We don't, we're not supposed to keep track of each other's uh, shortcomings either. We right. No, that's Although sometimes we do. We do. We do and and you're yeah, and when we do that, we are um, we're taking our eyes off of what really makes us righteous and we're we're trying to build a righteousness of our own based on either law-keeping or comparison 
our law keeping compared to other people's law keeping. And it's it's actually pretty toxic when you do that stuff. Isn't that actually breaking the law, though? It is. is that coveting? Absolutely. Yeah, it's or judging. Well, yeah. judging, judging, but it's sort yeah. of like a, comparing oneself to another. is sort of a, a psychological form of coveting. Then too. Yeah. Yeah. Of, uh, yeah. Yeah. Jack, you look like you want to say something. I don't know why I, well, I, I say that. But. Um, we, we've been dancing around a line here, and that's the Paul does not say you should not have social norms. Right. Right. Yeah. He's, he's just not speaking to the question of whether there should be rules in society about what's acceptable behavior and what's not. Yeah. That's not the topic here. No, that's right. He's saying, what is it that you believe saves you? Right. Get you righteousness, unites you with God. Right? If you believe that it's obedience to the law, obedience to the law is the way to get righteous with God, then you're out of luck because you're never going to succeed mm -hmm. because the standard is so high. That doesn't mean the rules are not bad rules. Right. It just means they don't have the effect that you were hoping for. Yeah. Uh, what does have that effect is grace, faith in God, and that distinction, Jesus says similar kinds of things. That is, I have not come to dispel the law, but to, to, to fulfill it. Right? Yeah. Somehow or other, what yeah. he's saying is the law stays. Yeah. The rules are worth listening to. They the rules are. are something you should be worried about and adhering to. But salvation is not the reason. Right. There's another reason for that. There the is law. a reason. Yeah, it's well, and we'll get to it. Yeah, we'll get, we're getting, we're going to get to it in future chapters. Yeah. Yeah, and that's there was a movement in in Christianity, which may still be alive today, which is called antinomianism, this being against the law. Nomos is the Greek word for law. And antinomian is, we don't need the law. We got grace. So actually that quickly devolves into, I can do whatever I want. I can go have a bacchanalia next door and, you know. And there's even an argument that you still hear today, in which Paul debunks at one point, but nonetheless. Yeah. That should this I sin more? So that should, should I sin more? So that, so that grace could increase. Yeah. yeah. By that's, no means. That's yeah. principally an illustration of how yeah. messed up you can get by relying on logic instead of sense. Yeah. We make a huge mistake when we discard the law. Uh, we also make a huge mistake when we pin all our hopes to the law. So there's this ditch on either side. Uh, and and our, our task, and Paul's just trying to help us with it, is to stay in this relatively narrow and I think we need to give ourselves some grace, even in this, is that we're going to slip in halfway into this ditch sometimes, or all the way. And I, I've met some Christians who have fallen all the way into this ditch. Um, and they just would say, this, whatever church I was in at the time, this church does not, does not preach about the law enough. It doesn't, it doesn't tell us what we should and shouldn't do. It doesn't have high enough, you know. And then you try to talk to them about, well, is it, you know, what's the law going to get you? Is that, and, and it's un, sort of an unspoken, but it's there. Uh, well, we're Christians if we keep the law. But your the definition of the law, you're, you're expanding on that mm -hmm. by meaning that means social, today's right. social norms. Yeah. That's not true. It is what's written in here. That's right. That's the law. Those are the laws that Paul is concerned with. And yeah. we, I don't know what they are, all of them, but I know there are some weird ones. Yeah. And there's some that makes complete sense. You should not kill, you know. I mean, that right. Makes sense to me. And many of them were, as we were talking about earlier, that many of the sort of obscure dietary laws were sort of 
discarded wholesale by God when he, when he gave Peter this vision. And actually today's this perfect segue, today's sermon is about the greatest law, the greatest commandment. And we're going to draw on Galatians a little bit. We're probably out of time, but... Oh, we are. Hey, this was good. I think, are you guys, is your appetite whetted for some more uh, of this sting? Let's, let's leave that, uh, leave that uh, image there. Let's, let's try to get down this road without falling into a ditch. And let's find freedom instead of slavery. Yeah. Thank you. That comment that um, Willard, Dallas Willard used to make about uh, we should all want to be um, a country dog. Uh, and he talked about, you know, city dogs, the minute you open the door to the house, they are gone. Yeah. Country dogs can go. They can go all over. They don't care. They lie outside of the door waiting for the master. Uh. And the point being, that yeah. where where is our alliance yeah. with, with what we are free to do, or with being the Lord? Yeah. In in terms of our internal self. Yeah. And we don't need to make judgments about other people on that no. because we don't know. But in terms of our own, no, I'm fine. Our own personal yeah. life. No, I'm good. Thanks. And and we'll see actually later in Galatians and in, in the sermon today. It's the spirit led life that actually cuts through all this. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, all those. And then this, you know, the kicker, I think, maybe the center of Galatians. Against such things, there is no law. And so the law is, you don't discard the law, but the law is non-operative on the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, I was actually taught that, that Jesus really takes us to a higher level. And I think Jack said it that by loving him, we want to observe the law. Yeah. But it comes in a certain way. But but Jesus held us to a higher level. You know that we have to have faith. That we need to, you know, walk with him. We should judge people, and that is more difficult to do than a bunch of set laws trying to just obey them. (laughs) Yeah. I like Diane comments on that in her books, and it's um, Jesus says, you know. that I, I, I call him my friend. And she says, because he calls me his friend, I want to serve him. Yeah, yeah. Are you love, and you love because I first loved you. Yeah, yeah, not a matter of rules and regulations, yeah. but a matter of what, what happens to you. Yeah. And you see that in, in terms of just human relationships even. I mean... You do. Children. You love parents. somebody, and so you, you, you live by a different standard or yeah. with a different focus or however you want to describe it. You do surprising things for them if you love them. I think uh, that God gives us children to really give us a, a, a perspective of his relationship with us. Yes, and, and to teach people, us what sin looks like in and, our own lives. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and I think people that don't have children really miss out on that because, yeah. you know... I think they can find it if they pay attention to other people's children. Well, maybe so. Yeah. You know, but it, yeah. but it is it, it is really in your face when you raise children yeah. <laughs> and you worry about them and all these things and they go off on their own and they do all these things. You've got the prodigal sons. You've got you know, and it's like, okay, God, I get where you stand from and and your frustration and your relate need desire for a relationship with us. Yeah, and you think about your children; they they disappoint you, so you kind of mad at them. But then you look at them and you're like, oh, I just love this kid. So, Well, I have many times said to my children, 
I love you, but I really don't like you. 